and welcome to another episode of Football Unfocused. This week, uh, we're actually recording on uh, a Friday, the Friday before the uh, last Premier League fixtures for the 2022-23 season. Uh, and unlike last week, it means we're actually able to reflect uh, all of the things that have happened over the last uh, week. So it's much tidier. Uh, this <laughs> well, is the Man podcast. City actually won and you said they were Yeah, Man City, yeah. But I, yeah, yeah. I think I said in the last one, didn't I? I've, uh, but, you were like, yeah, oh, well. Real Madrid are going to do one over them. I just got a feeling they will. Well, Matthew, people often uh, say to me, because of my football obsession, that, that I should bet more on football, and that's why I don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, that was a, a hell of a hammering, though. I mean, you, almost certainly you didn't watch it, but... Um, no, that is correct. Yeah, that is correct, yeah. <laughs> Did you even, do you even know the result? Uh, was, oh, funny. It was, what was it, 3-4-1? 4 nil. Yeah, very good. 4 nil. sorry. Yeah. No, Did I, they get one in the end? They might have got one. No, I think oh. it was 4-0. Oh, well, uh, maybe it was 4-1 yeah, in aggregate. I think it was... Uh, no, 5 It would be 5-1 in aggregate. It was one all from the first leg, yeah. But so, it, it was a comprehensive uh, hammering that yeah, yeah. Real Madrid took. But anyway, uh, this is Football Unfocused, uh, hosted by Mark and Matthew. I'm Mark. The other guy uh, talking there is Matthew. Uh, we've got some things to uh, analyse today with our um, trained, uh, analytical eyes. Um, uh, that you will discover upon listening to this a little bit longer that uh, don't actually exist in reality, uh, and not and, and I would say specifically uh, not in the case of Matthew because all right I I might get things wrong, but you know Matthew as you will discover isn't even aware of what's happening in the first place <laughs> and has no interest in finding out. Uh, so, so so as a result, I, I, but you ask I, him I, about the Giro d'Italia, yeah, oh, we will tell you about that. <laughs> I, there, there was, there are some things that um, that I've sort of seen and read that I thought was quite interesting. Okay, good. Me... Well, hold, hold on. on. Wait until right, I ask on. you some insightful <laughs> questions and then hit me with it. Because <laughs> he, listeners, I'll let you into a, a secret. He tries to get out of me asking him these questions every fucking week, and the more he, the more he, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, the more, the more he protests. Or I will ask. And I've just come back from a a, a swimming session and I was in a rush to be back in time for this podcast and I hadn't got any questions prepared. So I just looked around and used my brain and come up with some magnificent questions that will give you an insight into uh, Matthew's psyche and the the mystery behind his his personality. (laughs) Question one, Matthew. Do you have a favourite building? <laughs> I can see why looking around at buildings would have looking inspired around at buildings would, would yeah. have that question. <laughs> um, pro, oh, oh, I want to think of something a fancy building. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy, Matthew. It's something that means a lot to you. It could be a, you know, it could be a garage because that's where you, uh, you know. <laughs> Had your first sexual encounter? <laughs> he told you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably, oh, mate. I, I like bridges. Would you not? You wouldn't constitute bridges. Definitely not a building. No. Okay. Um, it's a structure. Yeah. So I'll ask you your favourite structure next week. <laughs> so start thinking about that now. <laughs> um, there, there's a Gaudi. Oh, the cathedral. Um, Oh, there's a cathedral in Barcelona that Gaudi kind of mm. 
design and this, oh, I can't remember. It's the one that took about 100 years to build. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so probably something like that. That was a good one. So the, the the big the big cathedral in Barcelona. Yeah, I don't want to say something like the Shard. I think there's so many buildings in in London. If you nowadays. said the Shard, I'd probably just end this podcast now. On the, I mean, yeah. not I have nothing against the Shard, but come on. No, I know, come no. Well, I, like I saying, I what's mean, your fa- what's your favourite pub? All bar one. <laughs> you know, it's just like Chrome, oh. characterless, capitalist. You know, yeah, copy and paste. What the- well, there are so many buildings in London now that are just like weird, just, you know, kind of state-backed, weird kind of architectural fetish design. Yeah, but you're talking about the big sort of standout um, sort of skyscraper and uh, office development blocks. Like, you know, what about, I don't know, just a, you know, a castle or, a, <laughs> or like an, a nice a nice Edwardian terrace? Uh no, about, none come about, to mind. What about Can I, Downing Street? You know, you're like, you're, you're oh, like that nothing the most there one, but dullest, that's a beautiful yeah. building. That is the dullest place to have our... I mean, it, it's quite funny in some ways that our Prime Minister just lives just in some terrace it house down a road. It might look basic. No, but it's not just some terrace house, though, is it? Because that is absolutely it's not anymore. enormous inside. Yeah, yeah, well, it's got bigger and bigger. But you should go in there. Apparently, there's uh, all sorts to see, like vomit up the walls, red wine stains <laughs> everywhere. You know, people asleep in the fucking people corridors. People abused and cleaning it up at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, Clean, abusing the cleaning staff, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Yes, um, allegedly. Okay. Um, can I right, just so say so the I, next? The Cathedral Familia Sagrada. That's yeah, the, there you go. You've there just you go. Sorry. At that. Brilliant. Sorry. Man Googles something and reads it out on a podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, uh, question two. Matthew, if I gave you the opportunity to go back to school and do it all over again. If I clip my fingers, right. You have to start on the first day of school. Uh, let's say primary secondary school. No, no, let's say secondary, secondary. Let's okay. say secondary. So go back to night, September, 1993. Would you do it? But before, before you answer it, the, the, uh, the only uh, sort of precursor is you can't change anything. You have to do everything exactly the same. No way. Without no. Any, you just, but you get to be like 11 again and, 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 you know, just go for it all again. No way. But it has to be identical. No What? No way. Even so it's if, not like one if, of those, would you change your life? Because if, yeah. if, if I let or you change would, anything, you what, go, I, what I... Would you go what, back with today's... You know, brain. Would you go back if you knew what you knew today? But you no, know, because then you would change stuff, wouldn't well, you? Well, yeah, you exactly. Even, and no, even you then, have to go I back and just do it bother. exactly the same. Yeah, no, no on both counts. I wouldn't do it if I knew what I knew today, or if I didn't. No way. So, if with your today's brain, your forty-one-year-old no, brain, I wouldn't. If do I gave it. you the opportunity to go, think how easy school would. Oh be. yeah, it'd be easier, but I'd just be like. When, sometimes when I'm around It'd young... weird chasing girls, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be weird. There's no yeah, way yeah. of squaring that circle. No, no. Why are you so frigid, Matt? Oh, just don't talk to me. No, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You'd, have to start, you'd have to start sort of going up to sort of, you know, 35-year-old women and chatting about <laughs> your school yeah. uniform. That's, yeah, them that's up. like big. Yeah, yeah. But that film... Is that what but, happens in big? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like yeah. Tom Hanks becomes a grown man, but with the boy's... So oh no! The, op- the op- oh, that's, that's the, the opposite. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't do it. Just because sometimes I'm around sort of young, youngish people, like in their early twenties, 
I wonder where I, that was going. Later. And I just think, oh, I could never keep up with this kind of chat. You know, some of some some of it, I just think this is ridiculous. Do I mean, I'm name glad. Names? Who are these twenty-one-year-olds? No, no, that sort of say things like, um, I don't know, like they they say like talk about memes or gifts and you know wow. TikTok and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh. Not only am I... You should get a Daily Mail column. That's, uh, that is literally the... Uh, you, know, you, and Richard, you and Richard Littlejohn would get on uh, like a house on fire. <laughs> but, but, but I don't... Like, I we don't... had a hell in a handcart. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't, I, don't dis- I don't despise them or begrudge them. I think that's the difference with Daily Mail and what I'm saying. I don't begrudge young people, but I just cannot... You I just don't relate to them. Pardon? I don't want to hang, hang around with no, them. No, exactly. Good. Final question, Matthew. Uh, when was the last time you used a hammer or a screwdriver? Uh, it would have been a screwdriver. I, mm. I don't really trust myself with a hammer, but um, <laughs> but yeah, probably. I guess I was screwing something. Mm. I think I think my, on my on my a good old bike, screw. I was on. I think with the indoor bike or something, I was screwing something. Something needed a nut needed Tight, tightening, so, yeah. T- tightening something with your big, big screw. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, and and was that recently? Uh, six months ago. <laughs> I'm just going to make that so six months. You haven't used a screwdriver for six months. Your techniques probably uh, needs a bit of sharpening up, then doesn't it? Okay, Matthew, football. Um, God, we're less than ten minutes in, and we're going to start talking about football. This is oh, incredible. Brilliant. Before I start running. You said you you had some thoughts. Well, I think it was it was it's it's been a bit of a fashionable thing. So, which is obviously why I picked mm. up on it to say: should we start putting asterisks, uh, asterisks? Is there a plural to asterisks um, next to Premier League title winners? Have you sort of had seen or heard? No. On what on what basis? On the basis that um, it's just you, you know you. I don't know what it. I don't. Well, obviously, I think the so the charges that are being made against Man City at the moment. Ah, so, right. You're talking about that. I thought you were going to go back no, like yeah. three years and tire some argument. That, oh, there should be an asterisk next to uh, a club if they won the league in an interrupted season because of COVID. Oh or, no, you know, no, no. No. All right. So you, hold on. So you you're asking whether there should be an asterisk. Next, Next to, to Man City's one of specifically Man City. Well, I d- yeah, I guess that that seems to be where the. What if this... you're basically found guilty of financial doping, which they haven't, yeah. by the way, but they're yeah, being yeah, investigated. But, they're facing yeah. about 250 charges or something, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's quite a quite a <laughs> list quite... to go through, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surely, but hold on, hold on. Right, so I've purposely kind of not tried to to go on about this too much because I think if you support a team that have been competing fiercely against Man City for a number of years, you it's it's difficult. Like uh, Andy Dawson, who's a, a podcaster that you and I both listen to, I think on two separate podcasts, a big Sunderland fan. And he said recently that he never talks about Newcastle, not because he doesn't think that them taking the Saudi money is absolutely abhorrent and morally reprehensible, but because because his his proximity to them and his 
his sort of natural setting of disliking them makes it so easy to then just discredit any criticism by just saying, well, you don't like them anyway. You're, you're, you know, you're biased. And I suppose it's similar. I don't have anything against Man City, but because I suppose when all these charges get leveled at them and you see what, you know, they're facing and what the potential consequences could be. I think I do think people maybe get a little bit overexcited as to right what could yeah. the ultimate sanction be, and I suppose it's stripping of achievements and relegation. But that, you know, I just think in it's so unlikely, no matter what they've done, that that would be the um, the, the sort of final punishment. But if that were to happen, clearly Liverpool would end up with two or three more league titles because we were we were the ones sort of finishing a. Uh, a point or two behind them in majority of their uh, years, even 2014, um, the season when we were we were we, we sort of nearly won the league completely out of the blue, if it were not for a unfortunate slip up against Chelsea in every sense, um, we'd even get one for that. But like, <laughs> I just think that that's so so far down the line. But equally, your question about the asterisks, right? So if if you're if you were going to add an asterisk to a team that had not played by the rules, then surely you can't do that without then removing it from them. You can't say, oh, you won it, but the records will show you won it, but in a dishonest way. Think about, you love cycling, right? So the Tour de France, if, am I right in thinking that all of the Lance Armstrong victories essentially scrubbed from the record books? They don't say Lance Armstrong, but with an asterisk. He's just been, he's been removed, hasn't he? Yeah, They're yeah, both, he's been removed. And they yeah, weren't so even the, given to second place. No, because they were probably all bloody cheating, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, so, yeah. so basically, those tours didn't happen. Yeah, They've yeah. been erased from history. Yeah, no, it's something I I don't really... Yeah, I don't agree with putting astri- an asterisk next to it, even if they're found guilty of financial doping. I just think... Yeah, you know... It's, it's, but what do you think... It's the way of the world in some ways. The, what? So we should just accept financial doping? I... D- I think it's so, I guess there's a couple of things, really. So I read an article, uh, Jonathan Liu, he's a sports writer in The Guardian. And he was sort of... journalist in the world. Oh, right. Okay. So he... He's amazing. He, yeah. So, no, he is good. And he he was sort of saying, oh, some people compared it to the the doping in cycling of the the EPO. Mm -hmm. And and he he kind of said, well, it's not really like that because obviously... You know the the way people were doped that obviously had a direct implication of how well they performed. So, and that's not really the case. But he kind of compared it to when they um, they had those really special swimsuits in in swimming that were mm-hmm. like two hundred pounds or three hundred pounds swimsuit that you yeah. can only wear them once or twice before they basically lost their their sort of um, their benefit and uh, and loads of records, world records were broken. And that yeah, was would that have been around the sort of time of. Um... You know the Aussie Ian Thorpe, who sort of predated Michael Phelps. It was kind of turn of the century. Yeah, that... it was around that sort of time. And basically, yeah, I do remember that. And and so they are they and, outlawed now? Then yeah, sense. they're outlawed. So so he was kind of comparing it to that. He was sort of saying there was this crazy Wild West period in in world swimming uh, where they were coming up with these ridiculously expensive and you know suits, uh, swimsuits, and then they you know within a couple of years the world swim got got on top of it, banned them, and now we're sort of back to where we were. And so people are nowhere near. So those records still stand, though? Yeah, those records still stand. But And and there's no way they're going to be broken, really. 
But even then, <clears throat> I still don't think, I still, because even before those swimsuits came along, there was massive disparity between the biggest swimming nations and, and the money they were putting into it, yeah. all the all the nutrition and physiological stuff and psychological stuff, you know, all that stuff would have been an advantage before those suits even came along. And and can yeah. you can you sort of stop that? Is are you gonna stop, you know are you, I mean no, it'll get to the point. Not... It, it's get to the point where you're just basically saying you can only spend this m- much money on a sport or on an individual athlete because i just think i mean the re isn't the reason financial day that you know financial fair play came in is to sort of stop clubs going bust you know they just either well or just stop uh, or just, I mean, well, not, not necessarily that, but they asked the question that because that really depends on whether you take a positive or negative view of financial fair play yeah, fi- oh, yeah. so from one point of view there was a re- there was a real glut of uh, clubs. Now we've we've had this problem in this country for many many years because you can go back to I think it was around two thousand and one two when um, the championship and leagues one and two signed a quite a lucrative deal with a new launch called ITV Digital, and it was kind of it wasn't like Sky Premier League um, uh, scale in terms of its financial package, but it was way better than anything that those um, that the, the sort of live broadcasting rights for those divisions had ever commanded before. So all of these clubs suddenly started uh, massively ramping up their budgets, their transfer budgets and their uh, salaries that they were paying out, getting them some, to unsustainable levels. ITV Digital then went bust. That money completely disappeared from football. The next TV package was worth a fraction. I think it went straight to Sky Sky. Uh, saw the opportunity to get in and pay a fraction of what it was before. And as a result, so many clubs around that time sort of went, they didn't go bust, but they went into administration, end up with mm. huge points deductions and relegations. And there was there was the threat of, of at any one time, you'd have uh, maybe 10 or 12 clubs that were under genuine threat of, of disappearing. And obviously, in more recent times, we've had Berry, um, um, go out of business whilst still in the football league, and uh, you know other clubs who have sort of gone for you know once they've got to the national league level have essentially sort of disintegrated and had to um, start again. You know Halifax and Scarborough. I mean that's going back a, a, a fair bit further. So yeah, so on one hand, financial fair play was brought in to prevent that from happening. So basically, means don't overstretch yourself. Don't yeah. spend that much more. I think they're. There were, there were some clubs who were spending sort of 120% of their um, uh, revenue generation on salaries. And I think it's now capped at, I don't know, 70 or 80%, something like that. So you could say that's to protect the clubs for their own good because in this sort of unregulated sort of, you know, factorite world of modern football, they're not going to, um, sort of, you know, there's no incentive for them to look after themselves. And uh, so, you, you know, someone has to be the sort of grown up in the room. The flip side of that is if you don't allow clubs to outspend what they're generating, then the clubs that are at the top of the tree already, that already have, you know, massive fan bases that have the ability to, you know, have um, go on incredibly lucrative pre-season tours to 
the other side of the world and filled stadiums with you know 100,000 people just to watch a friendly and who sell shirts and merchandise everywhere and have the biggest stadiums and you know just can sell their own TV subscriptions for their own TV channels and websites and all that sort of stuff those established clubs are going to have such a competitive advantage that it, you create a closed shop it's almost mm. a european super league style closed shop and where manchester city would always complain is look you can you can have a you know a moral or whatever the the nature of your objection is to our takeover how we get our money but we've come along and shaken up the top order of english football the same old clubs were just going to be you know competing against each other every year with you know even just from the narrow confines of the actual city they're based in they've completely flipped on the you know the uh you know much as I dislike them, they are, in terms of revenue generation and support, the biggest club in the country. Bollocks are they the biggest club in the world. I know they love to go on about their biggest club in the world, but a team that's won 14 uh, European Cups uh, slash Champions Leagues uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, I think, the second best, biggest stadium in, in Europe. There's no doubt that they are the biggest club in the world, Real Madrid, uh, not a team that's won... Uh, the European Cup three times and has spent most of the last decade sort of languishing around fifth and sixth in the league. So, um, but but Man City have have sort of completely turned the dominance. They've you know essentially removed one uh, rival and become the dominant force um, themselves. They would not have been able to do that had they been limited to the amount that they're able to spend based on their income. But what they're accused of, and I don't think they're going to be the last because this, I think this is a model that you're going to see more of the sort of state-backed clubs doing, and I suspect PSG um, might at some stage be in a little bit of bother as well, is they're disproportionately reporting their income by using one arm of their business to put money into another arm of the business to boost that level. So Etihad Airways, who, who, who sponsor the, uh, the stadium, which I'll always call Main Road, even though it's not Main Road, um, uh, that I think I believe one of the one of the accusations is that they will disproportionately increase the amount of money that Etihad pay to for naming rights of that stadium, just because that will then improve the bottom line and, and then justify uh, bigger uh, sort of spending on 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 transfers. I think that's just one of many. I believe there are also um, accusations that they've underreported. Um, the amounts they've actually spent on players as well. How they've done that, I don't know. I'm not a bloody football finance expert. But there are, I mean, this this has clearly been taken really, really seriously. And for the Premier League, because it happened a couple of months ago, didn't it? Around February time that, that they sort of announced, right, these are the charges. And it will be contested at every single step of the way. I mean, the only reason it hasn't proceeded, um, my understanding is, at, um, up to the current moment, is because Manchester City have... You know, because they're going to have an outrageously expensive legal team, aren't they? And they have been uh, sort of pedantically questioning every single element mm-hmm. of just the wording of things and looking at this clause and that clause, just delay, 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 delay. Um, I mean, there is no doubt there's dodginess. And I, and I think this is actually probably one of the reasons as well that the Saudis who have taken over Newcastle, despite the fact, yeah, they've definitely gone in and they've made huge changes and it's had an immediate 
like dramatic result um, uh, influence on their results. But in, if you look at what they've actually spent, it has been relatively contained, and it will probably remain that way because I don't think that they're going to put themselves in a position where they're facing sort of two hundred and fifty charges in the court and potentially some significant sanctions against them. So they it looks like they are going to be dealing with within the constraints of, of kind of, you know, the rules. Although the biggest threat they might have they are all now the revelations that are coming out that the British government actually put pressure on uh, the Premier League to uh, sanction that takeover because it would allow them the to, um, yeah, to carry, um, fa- to curry favour with uh, the Saudis um, for sort of, you know, business deals and, um, you know, in- investments into this country and so that they continue to buy our uh, our overpriced military hardware. So, um, I mean, that that's the scandal that could come out of Newcastle, the link between sort of government pressure and that, you know, sort of morally reprehensible take- takeover being uh, approved. But, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea got the advantage of taking... When Abramovich um, took over the club, I think it was in 2003, there weren't such a thing as financial fair play then. So basically you have this guy who's essentially stolen money from the Russian people, from Russian society, because of his advantageous uh, position in, in sort of Russian society, because he was in that elite of people who knew what to do when suddenly everything went wild west and all these state assets were up for grabs. And he was then able to, because he wanted to then position his money and wash his money through the Western markets to legitimise himself and to hide himself from, uh, you know, being chased down at, at any point, invest it in property, invest it in something like a football club. It's also a play thing. And he was able to, uh, you know, until the invasion of Ukraine, essentially had, uh, what, about 15 years of just, you know, doing whatever the fuck he wanted. And Chelsea have been completely revolutionised as a club as a result of that. And there's never going to be any call back to that because there was no, there were no sort of rules broken as there were. But, you know, the club he took over were a sort of, you know, a half-decent, you know, cup team that uh, were, were doing... You know, they were doing a lot better than they had been for sort of 20 years prior to that. But they were still, a, you know, a, you know, probably the fifth or sixth best team in the in the country and were, were sort of, you know, doing well at that. Um, to then a club that won multiple Premier Leagues and won the Champions League twice. So this isn't, this isn't a particularly new thing, but I suppose the potential of being pulled up for it is new. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is one similarity between, you know, the doping cycling and what's happening in the Premier League you know so so people were doping in cycling far way before they brought rules in to to try and limit the number of doping so so in that in that sense there is a similarity you know they saw what was going on in Chelsea and they brought some rules in to try to control it but obviously that uh you know those practices carried on for a time before uh before people caught up with them uh Man City that is so but I guess I just see it as like, well, you know, it was still 11 players against 11 players. Nobody was sort of caught doping on either team. Oh, um, I see. No, yeah. No, so the actual... nobody, nobody was like wearing special football kit or anything yeah, yeah. like that to provide a advantage on the pitch. So, so that is In a way, that's I... the beauty of football. That's why yeah. on any given day, no matter how powerful you are, that's why, you know, people go on about the FA Cup so much because on any given day, you know, that's a, there's no, um, uh, seeding in the draw, any team can get any team and you can just turn up and, you know, a team that are used to living in the lap of luxury and, you know, getting changed in changing rooms that are essentially like five-star hotels uh, suddenly have to go and play in uh, 
I don't know, like Nuneaton or something, and uh, you know where the you know there's a uh, a plug-in uh, radiator in the corner of the room, and you know a le- leaky taps everywhere, you know. So, and and anything can happen on any given day, and that, although those types of results probably don't happen as frequently as maybe they did in the past, but. That is the beauty of football that you can't. There's nothing you can really pump into a footballer that will mean mm. that you know. Even if they, do, even if you do get a sort of drugs cheats, it's because it's a different type of pursuit. Because so much of the success of a footballer is based upon their decision making on the pitch, rather than just pure sort of you know physical attributes yeah. of amount of you know white blood cells or whatever. Um, the I just wanted to make a couple of points on some observations that really fucking frustrate me. And some of this admittedly, right, is uh, probably because of my own uh, hang-ups and insecurity about being someone who's so into football and uh, passionate about football and therefore really um, quite anally retentive about the way in which football is reported on and discussed and just a desire for just a bit of accuracy, you know. Um, and uh, it really, therefore, annoys me. I would, I would literally chop off my little finger now if you said, right, you can be a you know a football writer for the Guardian or something like that, right? But then people who get the opportunity to work in football, so just just get things wrong. And I just think it's 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 just un- it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. So specifically. West Ham United, the week before last, made it into the Europa uh, Conference League final, which is going to be played in Prague in a couple of weeks' time. Fair play to them. You know, fantastic. And it's part of the point I was making last week about how, actually, it's very easy to be disparaging about the Conference League, but it's a chance to win a, you know, a, a European trophy to qualify for the Europa League for the next season. And, um, you know, football is all about winning shit, isn't it? And, you know, and if you're a club at, say, of West Ham's level, that's a really massive achievement. Um, and anyway, when they qualified for that final, I heard a number of uh, pundits saying, oh, it's their first final since 1980. That's referring to when they won the FA Cup in, in, in 1980 uh, in a, with a 1-0 win over, over Arsenal with a Trevor Brooklyn header. But of course it's not, is it? Because they got to the FA Cup final also in 2006 and uh, lost to Liverpool on uh, a penalty shootout in one of the greatest FA Cup finals of modern times. I've also heard more than one pundit say, oh, it's their first European final since 1965, which, of course, is the year that West Ham won the European Cup Winners' Cup by beating 1860 Munich. But that's not true either, because in 1976, they also got to the Cup Winners' Cup final and lost to Anderlecht in the final. So it's just... I know that you're probably sitting there, Matt, and thinking, what the fuck's this guy bitching about? But little things like that, they matter. They matter. Because for a start, if you're, you know, lucky enough to be a commentator on, what, you know, a sport that I absolutely love and is the most loved and followed sport in the world, then just get basic facts. Just purely because, all right, there's a nerd like me who's sitting there going, oh, well, actually, that's wrong. You know, I think you're fine. But... But most people actually prob- who've actually got lives probably don't know that in the first place. So what you're doing is you're you're giving people incorrect information. You're misinforming people. So fucking get it right. And it, and a matter of times I sit there and I'm just waiting for some right. And I, I tell myself right, they're going to get an, a, a voice in their ear saying correct that. That's that's fucking wrong. And they don't. It never it never happens. I heard the 
unimaginable arsewipe that is the BT Sport commentator Darren Fletcher, who uh, presents a five live um, uh, sort of Friday evening uh, preview weekend preview show. Uh, and that guy is regularly, he's basically a, 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 a sun journalist with a microphone. That's his, his commentator style and everything, every, the way he analyzes the game, the sort of questions he asks, the type of ex-footballers that he likes to invite onto his, uh, his fucking windbag programs. And um, he was going into, sort of, you know, coming up with similar levels of factual inaccuracy. I mean, he, he makes factual inaccuracy all the time. <laughs> and... Similarly, about West Ham, he actually had a, an ex-West Ham, I think it was Kevin Nolan, the current West Ham first team coach or assistant manager or whatever the fuck he is, on the, his programme last Friday night. And it, again, they were saying the same things like, oh, first cup final since 1980, so they've had to wait generations for this. And I'm thinking, for God's sake, like Kevin Nolan joined West Ham a few years after that last cup final. He knows. He'll have played with the majority of the players that lost that FA Cup final. That FA Cup final in 2006 was a massive deal for West Ham and they, and they did really did well. Did say anything? No, no one said anything. This is the thing. It fucking winds me up. Right, and, the, and here's another thing and I suppose that, that has winded me up. I'm just going to read a list, list of things that annoyed me, right? <laughs> Recognition and contextualising of achievement, right? And th- th- this, I think, winds me up more than anything else because... I know that it's very easy to make the point about the, the sort of everything being the Premier League era, but but there is no doubt that is irritating. Football in the you know league football in this country as a twenty or twenty two team top division has been going on now for around one hundred and fifty years, right? But yeah, you see a goal a, a sort of league record goal scoring chart um, presented on the screen, and all we hear about now is the relentless pursuit of Harry Kane hunting down. Uh, Alan Shearer's record of 260 goals. But it's not Alan Shearer's record of... It's Alan Shearer's record of 260 goals since they rebadged the league as the Premier League. But it's literally... It's exactly the same league with a a different name played by the same teams in the same venues in, in exactly the same format. So the fact that Jimmy Greaves without having the list in front of me is about another 100 goals ahead of that. Jimmy Greaves is the record goal scorer in English football league history and it's been it's fucking disrespectful it's disrespectful and it's inaccurate and what it does as well is it feeds into you know you were talking before about things about a conversation with a 21 year old that irritate you and and, and you find you can't relate to and one of the things that i find most mind-bendingly frustrating is when you speak to a human being of any age really and they use their age as an excuse for ignorance. So they'll say, say you're talking about, I don't know, um, uh, a film or, or anything. And, um, they'll, and I'll say, oh, like, have you seen that? And they go, no, oh, it was before I was even born. I said, but the, you know, the Second World War was before I was fucking born. The Battle of Hastings is before I was born. The Beatles released all their albums before I was fucking born. But does that mean I don't know anything about them? Does that mean that I can't? you know be inquisitive enough to actually look into them and try and engage with them you know what i mean like it's i find that really really frustrating but this obsession with sort of premier league specific statistics that ignore the history of football feeds into that and 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 there is one more thing and um maybe arsenal fans might not like this but um matthew in fact i'm gonna ask you a question matthew <laughs> Go on, then. right what is the point of what is the ultimate goal of uh, a league 
say you, you start a league season, what is it? In its basic form, what are you aiming to do? To get to the top. Yeah, to get to the top, right? By doing what? Winning. How do you do it? Uh, getting the right? most points. Getting get the most points, points right? Get the most <laughs> points. So essentially, it is, an, it is a pursuit for points. A league campaign is a pursuit for points. So therefore, do you think it would be fair to deduce that the, the, the biggest achievement that you could uh, uh, make, that you could achieve, the biggest thing that you could achieve in a league campaign is to maybe get more points than anyone has ever got before? That's pretty special, surely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Now, so therefore, having sort of, you know, enjoyed, well, not really enjoyed, because I try and be impartial about these things, but having indulged in a conversation about Man City's ills before, for me, Manchester City getting 100 points in 2018, I think it was, um, is a bigger achievement than Arsenal in 2004 getting, I think it was 92 points. So, you know, almost three wins Less uh, less points, but not losing a match. For me, the fact that you 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 don't lose a match is yeah, it's, it's it is. Look, I'm not being you know deliberately obtuse. It is a fantastic achievement to go through a season unbeaten. And I know that you know the defenders of it will say, but it's having that zero, that clean record. Nobody beats. Yeah, but twelve teams stopped you beating them. They, they drew, <laughs> and when Manchester City got a uh, hundred uh, points. You know, they were almost fucking impenetrable. Same with the season when, when Liverpool got 99 points. And I would ask the question that, so what's the um, uh, maximum amount of points that you can get in a season? I believe it's 114, isn't it, right? So, you know, 38 times three. I'm no mathematician, um, <laughs> right? But let's just say a team won 37 out of 38 games. So got 111 points and they won 37, lost one, right? Are you telling me that that is a less impressive season than a team that uh, uh, won fewer games but didn't lose? Yeah, I mean, I would rather, I'd rather be the supporter of the team that that got a hundred and whatever it is, eleven points, because I'm sure, I'm sure that would have been a more enjoyable season <clears throat> to follow them when they're winning so many games. Um, but I can also, at the same time, I do well, accept Colin that... becomes boring after a while, doesn't it? <laughs> every fucking game. Oh, another win. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's nice. They lost one. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> oh, nice, good. Actually. Yeah, made it interesting. But 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 I do accept that there is something about the only team not to have lost. Yeah, no, game. so do I. But there no, is I'm, something about it's an that, amazing achievement. But I but what I I suppose I suppose yeah I suppose in a way I'm contradicting myself because everything gets reduced to either or and you know it's in quite a sort of confrontational fashion you know I, I particularly around that era when when Arsenal were making that achievement right I absolutely loved Arsenal because they were the only team uh, stopping <laughs> uh, that that lot from Old Trafford winning every bloody trophy so I was because Liverpool were largely irrelevant in those days uh, until winning the Champions League in 2005 um, it was Istanbul day yesterday by the way 18 years uh, since that great day um, greatest European Cup final of all time. Um, um, but uh, yeah, so I, so I, I, I was essentially for about three quarters of the season. Once Liverpool were kind of out of the running, I was basically like, like an Arsenal fan during that time. And so you know, I loved it when they went unbeaten because that was their thing, and it kind of stopped 
the obsession, obsessional talk about like the sort of the treble season, and it uh, and it gave Arsenal kind of their thing. But I, ha- you know, I have to say, I'm sorry, but if Manchester City win a treble this season, they're going to get over nine, well over ninety points again in the um, in the Premier League. If they then win the uh, Champions League, having beaten Real Madrid and Bayern Munich on the way there. Um, they're likely to win the final against Inter Milan, and then the FA Cup final against their 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 sort of bitter rivals in the final. That that smashes anything. That I, I, you know, it really and I does. Think the it, way, yeah, and I think and the, the way, way they play teams, football as well. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, to be to be fair though, that Arsenal team and all Arsenal teams around that period, they were absolutely beautiful to watch. That's you know, they they always they would have always won the style style argument about um, around that time. That's why when Ferguson used to put teams out against them, his only way of beating them was to turn it dirty because he knew that on a sort of match, you know, one, you know man for man basis, they were just going to get passed off the park. So he'd play, like, he used to play fucking Phil Neville, that murder little prick, in centre midfield to double up on Patrick Vieira just to try and sort of stifle his um, sort of creativity through the middle. Because um, it was, you know, but, but again, fair play, that is great management to know, recognise your limitations and where the other team is stronger than you and to, um, uh, you know, find a way to beat them. Um, but but the one other thing, just very, very quickly, that, that does, again, annoy me, it's how whenever you hear in the media these types of conversations where you're trying to compare sort of generationally great teams, you know, the treble team of 99, the Arsenal Invincibles from 2004, the, the Man City 100 points uh, team, etc. Um, you, you'll get, again, it's always some shitbag again, like fucking Darren Fletcher and, and enjoyed by the likes of sort of Robbie Savage, a man whose, you know, uh, brain power could be uh, summed up in the, sim- in the, in the single uh, digits. Um, uh where they'll, where they'll do things like, all right, combined 11, right? So who would get, who from the current City team would get in the United team in 99? And then they'll just have this like completely pointless, like inane argument uh, that is always influenced by their own fucking uh, bias. And it's completely futile. It's completely fucking futile. It's like twats who get in Twitter spats about who's better, Messi or Ronaldo. I mean, obviously, the answer is messy, but you know, but just fucking—it doesn't matter. It's a fucking team game, and it's all about which team won that year. And yes, everyone likes to sit back and think about, okay, over the course of time, who were the truly great era-defining teams, etc. But this just reducing everything to, oh, uh, you know, who would get in the centre midfield then, Roy Keane or Yaya Torre, or would it be Ilko Gundogan? I don't give a fuck. And like, you know, they're not they're not competing to get in the same fucking team. So just, it's so tough. It's like whenever there's a, whenever there's like a big game that coming weekend, when they're previewing it, previewing it on like um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Friday night again or whatever. Say it's, say it's Liverpool against Manchester United, which is like, historically the biggest game in English football. They'll go, right, combined 11, you know, who's getting in? And I just say, I don't care. They're not, they're not part of the same fucking squad. I couldn't give a shit. And even if I did give a shit, I wouldn't care what some fucking half-wit who used to play centre midfield for Derby County uh, uh, thinks about it anyway. With, with, you know, drives around in a pink mini. Yes, Robbie Savage. Talking about you again. Anyway, that's it. Stop, <laughs> stop moaning. Sorry. Uh, so this weekend is the playoff final between Coventry City and Luton Town, which is an absolutely fucking beautiful thing because there's two teams who haven't been in the Premier League since, or first division as it was when Luton last uh, went up. Luton got relegated in 1992. Coventry City 
got relegated in 2001. So somebody who hasn't played in the top division for a very long time, who hasn't benefited from parachute payments this season, who hasn't recently been relegated, is going to uh, return to the top division. And that is brilliant because both of those clubs have suffered almost beyond belief. Luton Town had you know, administration points uh, deductions went all the way down to the National League and spent a long time down there. Coventry City spent many, many years playing in different fucking stadiums and they're both competing uh, tomorrow, Saturday, um, to be in the Premier League. And uh, it's one of those games where I wish they could both win uh, because I think it's fucking brilliant. And and one interesting point about Coventry uh, is that they have only ever been promoted once in their history. But that one time lasted for uh, 34 years. They got promoted in 1967 and didn't get relegated uh, until 2001. Impressive, that isn't it, Matthew? <laughs> that is. I was just also going to say that Jimmy Greaves scored 357 goals. There you go. And he is, uh, you know, man the top scorer, up another. Sorry, yeah, top scorer. Yeah, man so 357. On the internet. Well, I think just off the top of my head, Matthew, I'm going to show off again. I mean, I really should be on countdown with these math skills. That's 97 more goals than uh, Alan Shearer, I believe, and which is supposedly the Premier League record. So, uh, you know, there you go. There you go. And Greaves would, would, would match with anyone on a, if they tried to reduce it to a goals per game ratio because that man was fucking prolific. <sighs> Every ten-year-old with, uh, you know, um, you know, an obsession with, uh, I don't know, fucking uh, Sergio Aguero. I've even there picked a player who's now retired, um, <laughs> but should just be forced to watch, you know, reams and reams of footage of Jimmy Greaves playing football. Uh, the next time anyone says that, you know, that football was invented in 1992, if only to respect Jimmy Greaves, those people should be told to fuck off. <laughs> and by the time uh, we, we record next week, who knows, Spurs might even have a new manager. And 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 on the, f- the, the final thing I will say is that there's a massive playoff. Uh, two matches this weekend, Aston Villa or Tottenham, one of them's going to get in the um, the Europa Conference League. It's fucking tense. Matt, how, how are you feeling? Are you, oh, let's just sh- come on. Are you shitting yourself? Well, more, yeah, <laughs> more than normal. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot. Okay, on that, on that, on that shit-related bombshell, it's time to say goodbye for another week. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Football Unfocused. Focused.